If you have Bibles with you, I'm going to ask you to put your fingers in two passages. We're going to get there shortly. Uh, we are going to be in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 1, and we're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew and chapter 1. So you want to look at that and, and get to that this morning, and we're going to be there shortly. But I want to start off and say, obviously, I, I, let me ask you this question. Do you feel it? I mean, do you feel it? Like, it's, it's, it's the time of the season, isn't it? it it's, it's really like, you, you know at this point in time in the year, when things get a little cooler, but it gets into December, you know with, with certainty at this point in time that there is very little chance that the Vancouver Canucks will make the playoffs. <laughs> that, that's not the season you were thinking I was going to talk about this morning? Yeah, well, it's absolutely, that's true too, isn't it? I mean, oh... Started off so well, it was, I was hoping this Christmas would be different. Yes, of course, it's, it's Christmas. It's the Christmas season. And uh, I was reflecting on that and thinking about all the preparation for it. And what we do understand is, of course, it's what a busy season, right? The two Thanksgivings are now over. You realize that, right? The Canadian Thanksgiving and, of course, the American Thanksgiving, they're done. And so, you know, and then, of course, there's Black Friday was right after that. And I, I find it interesting, uh, especially being an ex-marketing guy, that uh, Black Friday, for some reason, seemed to be websites were saying that it started early. Black Friday prices now like a week early, right? And then it goes on afterwards, even through Cyber Monday, and it's apparently still going on, but of course there will be Boxing Day. And actually, no, it's no longer Boxing Day, it's Boxing Week. So, we're, but we're past those first few, right? And, and so to all of you, listen, who, my, my point to you would be, to all of you who had your Christmas lights up in October, your playlists playing in November, um, and, 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 and your tree up last week, I, I have two words for you, too early, okay? That's just, just annoying, right? Like, you know, I'm, I'm the type of guy, like, with Janice, she's like, honey, can you get the Christmas tree lights up? And I'm going, listen, if we're going to get, I'm talking, not Christmas tree, the outdoor lights up, all white, by the way, they have to be all white with Janice. If, would you please get those up? And I'm going, look, if I'm going to put them up, they're staying up all year. Okay, I'm not taking them down, right? It's, it's annoying. But anyway, so there's that, right? So I just want to state this going into the series this year, the beginning on the first day, that I, I love Christmas, I really do. Some people sometimes think uh, uh, that I don't, but I, I really do because I've got some things to say about it. I, I love, quite frankly, everything about it. I really do. Uh, I love everything about the Christmas season. I know some of you also love the Christmas season, and, and I actually love the songs. I, I love the old songs, you know, like I'm older than some of you here, but, you know, I love Bing Crosby, right, Nat King Cole, right, the classics, right? I like those guys, but I have a question for you on that note. How many of you are going to be roasting chestnuts by the open fire this season? I don't see any hands. Oh, one guy. Okay, all right. That's, that's awesome. Thank you. But it's, you know, like, but we sing that song, right? We hear that song, and it's all of a sudden, we get this warm, fuzzy feeling. It's Christmas. But nobody does that, right? And then there's jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride on a one-horse open sleigh. How many doing that this year? Riding on a one-horse open sleigh, right? I mean, that'd be kind of cool. You come to Pemberton, somebody up there might have a horse, right? It would be great. But, you know, we sing those songs, and I love them. I mean that sincerely. I, I really do love them. I got the playlist going. It's happening at home. You know, Shopify play Christmas songs, right? And they, that's what they play, right? And Alexa does that for me. It's amazing. I love it. Of course, the other thing that I love, and I'm sure you do too, is I love the food, right? I mean, the food. Come on, right? We, we have a certain policy at the Davies home that there's a, like the, the Christmas dinner has to have certain elements, and, of course, those of you who know me very well uh, probably are aware of the fact that I believe there should be a law in Canada that at least two to th every two to three months, there should be a celebration where a turkey must die. 
okay? Because I just, turkey, stuffing, like all of that stuff, right? It's just, I, I love all of it, right? And then, and then at our house, what I also like, we don't have it all year because, you know, we're trying to remain svelte, but, you know, like we have peanuts and sometimes chocolate, and then, of course, there's eggnog. Like yesterday, honestly, I was at the store, and I'm looking around, and I'm going, should I buy eggnog, eggnog now? <laughs> you know, and the answer probably is, yes, of course you should. Eggnog is awesome. Let's not forget the movies, right? I was mentioning to our worship team this morning, I saw my first Christmas movie last week, Die Hard. Anybody else see that movie, right? <laughs> okay, don't watch it. I'm a pastor. I probably shouldn't recommend it. Now that I watched it, uh, you know, but, but it's, you know, apparently he's going to, for Christmas. But anyway... So I watched that one, and of course, there's a whole list of them, right? There's, they're amazing. There's Miracle on 34th Street, really awesome movie. There's It's a Wonderful Life. Now, come on, is that classic? That's just, you got to watch that movie, right? How the Grinch Stole Christmas, Charlie Brown's Christmas, right? And one of my favorites, of course, is Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer with Burl Ives. Like, come on, how classic is that, right? you got to watch that movie. And then there's A Christmas Carol, and then there's the more recent classics of Home Alone, one is good. The other ones, I don't know. How many were there? Like seven? I don't know. Home Alone 1 was awesome. And then there is perennial favorite at the ledge for movie night. Best votes. Gets? Any guesses? Elf. Right? Elf. Come on. Like, so the movies are awesome. Right? And, and, and I, also, I, I love them. I didn't mention one um, that, you know, we're going to, we as a family are going to watch this year because, again, I, I find it, the more we watch it, I'm going, I, I'm a pastor. I don't know if you're recommending Chevy Chase and Christmas. Anyway, um, you know what I'm saying. I love Santa, too. I really do. I mean, he was here last night on the street, and he was sitting here up on the stage. And, and, I, and I, I love Santa mainly because, like, my mother indoctrinated us as children. <laughs> you know, like, it was, it was a big deal for my mother. So, like, Santa and going down to Eaton's department store and sitting on his, is it his lap or his knee? Like, I don't, I don't want to be politically correct here, but, you know, so, and, and we get our pictures taken with him. And you know what? I even wrote letters to the North Pole. Did any of you guys do that? Like, so, like, you know, it's been in my family and in my life, all of my life. And uh, even with our kids, like, we, we did it. You know, we're trying to be very careful because, you know, we're, we're, we're Christians. And, and uh, we're very careful about, you know, actually telling the truth to our children and building up that story versus this story. And so we were careful with that. But, you know, I, I honestly, like, I, I went through several years of, of being, you know, loving it as a kid, really, really loving Christmas, and then, then there became this one year where I was really, really disappointed in Santa. Really disappointed in Santa. You know, I, I asked for drums, and I got a guitar. You know, <clears throat> I took lessons, and as Nick will tell you, I can play barely. And, you know, but I, I did buy myself drums later when I got... It all made sense to me a few years later when I found out the truth. Then I was disappointed in my parents. Right? It's like, What? You told me... Anyway, I won't say anything in case some of the children are here. So Christmas is great. It is. Come on. All of the, the story that's being told about Christmas is wonderful. It is, it is fun. It is for our enjoyment. And it's, it's, it's lovely, at least for most people. But we have to be honest and say that it's, it's not wonderful for everyone, right? It's, it can be a very stressful, trying time. And I'm not talking for those of us who have most of everything, and it's just a matter of, well, now we need to go into a little bit of credit card debt to make sure that we're all happy this Christmas. And, and there's stress in that, but there's also a number of people in our uh, culture and in our world, it seems to be a growing number, even in Squamish, who uh, 
Christmas is not a great time. You know, it's difficult to get through Christmas. It's tough. And sometimes they don't have the happy kid memories that I have or that you have of Christmas and family and the tree and the lights and the warm feeling. And so we need to be, of course, aware aware of all that. So, you know, again, most of us, we get to be nostalgic once again uh, about the best Christmas ever. And for many of us, we're, we're living vicariously either through our kids or our grandkids, right? And enjoying Christmas and wanting them to not miss out on the great story, which is why we had a huge lineup of people going out the door last night to get the picture with the guy, right? It's, it's, we don't want to miss out these things, right? So I was thinking this week, we've been doing these Advent series for seven years now. So every year we get to the end of November and we, we go into an Advent series, and we love it as a church, but I, I got to be honest with you, as the guy who's doing it most years, every year actually for the last seven years, I'm like, okay, okay, how, how am I going to do this? Like, I went through all of my own notes, I went back to previous sermons, and I said to Genesis, like, I could do 2012 and nobody would know. <laughs> I'm not doing that. But my point is, is that, you know, like, it's like, how do you make it fresh? How do you make it interesting? And quite frankly... How, how do you make it interesting for even Christians um, and make it the best story ever, which it is up against that story, up against that very powerful story in our world and our culture? So as I was looking through the last several years, I noticed a, a bit of a theme, and I've kind of alluded to it already, um, and I covered through all the Scripture, you know, like the Old Testament Scriptures, the New Testament. We'll go through most of those in this series in the next four weeks, and including Christmas Eve. But I noticed there, were, there was a recurring theme, a recurring theme in every one of the messages. And I didn't really plan it that way, just the way the Holy Spirit had revealed it to me. And it was this, it was the idea that, that as men and women, as humans, really, we are all doing our very best to write our own better story. All of us are doing that, not just at Christmas. In our whole lives, we're trying to write this better story, uh, a story that will end up in our our happiness, in our joy, in our success, if not just for ourselves, but for our families. And, and again, the pressure at Christmas is immense. So we have plans for our lives and our Christmases, and for some of us, a very big part of our story is this time of year. We've frankly just been thinking about this apparently better story that I've been alluding to you that I love. I love that story. And so my question for us today is, how does that compare, really? to the best story ever. And that's what I want to look at this year with you. We're holding this series today, and I'm hoping in this series for three results for you and for me. I'm hoping, first of all, that we will revisit the best story ever and be greatly encouraged by it and, frankly, really fall in love with it, really come to know it in in not just lovely readings and, you know, Virgin Mary and, and stories, but we would come to love it as the best story ever. We'd come to see it in a completely different light, individually. Secondly, for those of you who are parents, so that you will lead your families, your children, so that they will understand that there is a better story. There's a best story. Not that this story is is bad and terrible like Christians often like to make it out to be, but there is a better story. And finally, so that you and I will be people who will be happy to share with our culture this better story. Last night was awesome here to have this place so full of people, and everyone was here primarily to to see the big guy, right? But a small band of us were standing here, and we were singing Christmas carols. 
real Christmas carols. Real Christmas carols. About the Son of God, born in a manger, truly coming from heaven to earth to save us all. It was wonderful, but it was a very small segment of that story. And my heart kind of grieved a little bit, although I'm very excited to see all these people in this place. It was awesome, but the attention was there and not here. So my hope in the series is, is that you and I will understand that it's part of our responsibility. It's actually a joy that we should have that we are the ones who get to share this story. So the, the overarching title for the series is What Child Is This? Um, we're going to end on Christmas Eve with, as I said, the shortest message that Glenn has ever preached. Uh, so you'll want to be there for that because you don't want to miss it. It'll be very short. Um, and we're going to ask that question on the night, why is a baby, why is a child? And so we're going to get to that. And this serves actually this message as an introduction. And so I've given it the title, The Best Story Ever. And my hope is throughout the series that we will end every message looking at the Scripture and then asking the question, okay, how is what we've just read today and learned today, how does, how does that fit into the best story ever related to Christmas? So we're going to look at it in three parts today. Number one, Mary's story. Number two, Joseph's story. And then finally, the best story ever. So if you have your Bibles with you, I'm going to read. I won't put them all on screen, the verses right now. I will bring them up later. I'm going to read beginning in verse 26 to 38 of chapter 1 of Luke. So read with me. This is, number one, Mary's story. It goes like this. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be? For I am a virgin. And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing is impossible with God. And Mary answered, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So we enter Mary's story with the announcement that God has sent. God has sent not just an angel, not just a run-of-the-mill minion angel. He sends Gabriel. And if you study the Scripture a little bit, you'll find out this guy is the mightiest of the angels. He is uh, God's go-to emissary. 
He sends Gabriel to a specific town. Again, we saw this in the ending of Luke in the last few weeks, that the narrative of the Bible is, is not just fantasy-type writing or mystical-type writing. It's specific. It's historical. And so it's to a specific town, a specific region, to a specific woman who were twice told is a virgin. So added to that, we also learned that she's betrothed, which simply means to us today she's engaged. It's a different process in that day. Uh, betrothal period could be between one and two years where you were committed to marriage. But in, in, in the Jewish faith, then and today, for those that go through the betrothal um, process, it's, they're considered married in that period. And in fact, if they are to break up, a letter of divorcement is required. And so she's engaged to a man whose name is Joseph, and we learn that he's from the house, which is important, or from the family of King David. It's a key highlight in the story. We're not going to go into that too deeply today because we're going to be looking at some other elements. And so the next thing that happens, if all of this so far isn't very unusual, this angel from heaven talks to her. <laughs> He actually has a conversation with him. He actually opens his mouth and speaks to this girl, Mary. So who is she? A little background on Mary for, for all of us, for that matter. Um, some of us may know some basics about her, but maybe not everything. From, from what we know from Jewish history, especially in that day, it's maybe different today, but in that day, she was probably a 13 to 15-year-old young woman. Now, now, I know that for some of you, I'm thinking about it going, okay, that, that seems really odd, <laughs> you know, especially in our world and culture today. And we, we might have an attitude about that being, you know, and Joseph probably being 19, 20, 21, older, uh, older to be able to provide and protect for her. And we might be looking at it going, is that right? <laughs> you know, in our culture, in our mindset, we might, I, I don't know if that's, and it's arranged, right? You know, so, but we have to understand uh, that our culture is quite different. In those days, it was completely, completely appropriate, completely appropriate. And in fact, in the culture, and specifically in Jewish culture, it was not only appropriate, it was what was best in the minds of the family, for their daughters especially, but also for their sons and for the whole family, that children would get married younger and get out of the house and start to look after themselves, because many families were really quite large. So the truth is, most young Jewish girls, when we think about it, really weren't much different than many of you in this room today, whether young or older, when it comes to the idea of marriage, right? I mean, think about it. She's 13 to 15 years of age. She's betrothed to this guy. We, we get the impression because, yes, there were arrangements being made, but it wasn't like, really, in most homes, it wasn't like, look, you're going to marry this guy. Don't worry about the fact that he looks weird, okay? Like, th there was some consensus that people... And, and so... They were probably in love. If not, the idea was is that, well, through the betrothal period and getting to know each other better, the commitment, and then consummation in marriage, love will come, right? We've, we've heard that before, right? But that was the expectation. So you think about this young lady. Can Think about it for a second. She's 13 to 15 years of age. She's been to many, many weddings. You've got to believe she had some dreams, wouldn't you? How many of you can remember before you got married or aren't married yet and you're looking forward to that day, the, the planning stage, the dreams about what, my, what, what, what will I wear, my wedding dress, where will we have it, what's it going to be like, who's going to be on the guest list, it's going to be amazing. And so you begin to dream about this. And I think Mary was completely the same in that respect. 
I think it's appropriate, really, that we understand that she probably had some great dreams. So what would Mary be hoping for, do you think? What would she be hoping for in those days, for her upcoming wedding feast, honeymoon, and, and marriage for that matter? I mean, probably, especially, think about it. You got a year to two years to be betrothed to this guy. I mean, you see him every once in a while, and he's got to go off and work. You're going to go off and visit your Aunt Elizabeth, you know, whatever it might be, but you're betrothed, right? So you hang out together, and she's got a year to two to be thinking about, all right, the guy's a carpenter, okay? You know, he's pretty good at what he does. Maybe he's going to make a lot of money, and we're not just going to have to, you know, have the cows and the sheep and the goats and, you know, all that stuff. And I don't know, like, where are we going to live? Like, you know, you know are we going to have to stay in Squamish, you know? <laughs> or, sorry, uh, Galilee, uh, Nazareth, are we going to be able to go to, you know, some really sunny places, warm places? And she's dreaming. She has to be. She's a normal 13 to 15-year-old girl who's betrothed, looking forward to getting married someday. And so she's got a lot of time to think about this. Where are they going to live? How many kids they're going to have? How is businesses grow? How she can help them in that? What, what she's going to do with her career, right? Okay, maybe not so much in that day, but surely she had a whole lot of dreams, especially for the wedding. I mean, for weddings in those days, it was like a week-long affair. It wasn't just the one day where, you know, you, you blow, you know, uh, what, what is there? was a show one time, and I think they call it Bridezilla's. Did you ever see that? Like it was a very bad TV show. Um, <clears throat> but the expectation for that day, in those days, it was a week-long affair, right? So it'd be like the family's going to be there. There's going to be good wine, good food. We're going to dance. We're going to have such a great time. The expectation this young lady had for her life, for her story, would be the same as you and I in this world today. Don't you think? She had dreams, frankly, I would think, of her best life ever. She must have. She was normal, a normal girl. Then this angel from God shows up and he says these words to her. I'll put them on screen. He says, greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting he was saying. So, so our, our English translation doesn't really do service to the, the Greek words or the intention here of the words greatly troubled. It essentially means she was in shock. Like, she was in complete shock. First of all, there's this, this, this appearance of this very, we don't know how large he is, but Gabriel, powerful angel, not just a man, powerful angel. And, and he's talking to her, and she's, she's clearly got no idea what's going to happen next. All she knows at this point is that she's being told that God is with her and has sent this angel, and he's behind what's going on. But she's in shock. He then continues, and he says, do not be afraid. So we know that this greatly troubled is fear. Gabriel's seeing it in her face. She is fearful. He's saying, don't be afraid, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your room and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. <laughs> Can't can you imagine Mary at that point in time going, oh, well then, why should I be afraid? Imagine this. I mean, 
This is in chronological order. This is a record of what actually happened on that day. And clearly what, what he tells this young girl is, is that basically that life that you had before, like been dreaming about, that marriage, that wedding, that life, that family, those kids, plans have changed. How would you deal with that? How would I deal with that? Plans have changed is basically what he's telling her. And, and he hasn't finished. He then goes on, he says, and by the way, this son that you're going to have, he will be great. Great. Well, great, I'm going to have, I'm going to have a son and he's going to be great. That's awesome. And he, be, he will be called the son of the most high. Mary's Jewish. She's starting to clue in a little bit here, right? And, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. Who in the world could this be? that I am going to bear. He's got to be puzzled. I can hear Mary's thoughts being, plans have changed? Are you kidding me? Yeah, what, what are you talking about? We don't hear anything else that comes from her at all, except in verse 34, she says, good question, how will this be since I'm a virgin? I've read some commentators that kind of like, she's like, is there any way I can get out of this? <laughs> it, that's not what she's thinking, I don't think. But it's, it's like, really, so you say so, but how can that be? Because I am a virgin. So this is really important because, there are, again, there are people who go, well, she wasn't, you know. It's like, this is all fabricated. And, no, she's declaring. She's declaring that I am a virgin. So I really think you can, you can imagine in the situation here, the wheels in her brain are spinning a little bit. She's, she's trying to put this all together. She's asking a question, like, it, it's a good question, and, and maybe because she's, she's been homeschooled, she's just asking for a biological explanation. I don't know, right? She's just kind of like, can you tell me the science behind this? Because as far as my mom told me, what's going to happen is, can you help me to understand what's going on? It's, it's, it's not funny, but, it, but it, when you think about it, it's how shocking it is. It's a 13 to 15-year-old girl. This is not, you know, La La Land with a, you know, a bunch of angels singing around going, oh, this is such a great event. No, this is real, and she's in shock. The angel continues and answers her question. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now, we don't have time to dive into this too deeply, but this is one of the reasons why Jesus had to come as a child and a baby and in this way is because he had to be sinless. Amen? Because he remained sinless. He remained in a state that you and I cannot be in to begin with and have troubles being with even with the Holy Spirit and Christ in our life. Amen? That's why that had to happen that way. So that's why he is holy, being born this way, not of a man but through the Holy Spirit and this woman. And then he goes on, he says, And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. What encouraging words, encouraging words. And, and not only that, he now gives her some verification, doesn't he? He says to her, you, you remember, you know your Aunt Elizabeth? Like she's 90, right? You know her, right? And she's been barren all of her life. By the way, she's six months pregnant. And Mary's like, I hadn't heard. And later in this gospel, she runs off to, to Elizabeth to find out, right? And it's true. And so this is helping her with some confirmation. 
And so the angel leaves her with the words, nothing's impossible with God. Nothing, including this event. What's really interesting is this. Well, let me ask you this. She's only asked one question so far. Can you imagine that? Wouldn't you have asked more questions? I know I would have, right? I would have asked a few more questions. Well, well, well wait a second. What, what? Hey, that's all great, but listen, can we talk about this in 10 years? Like, I have a wedding planned. I have a life planned. You know, I got some, you know, like, I won't have any kids for 10 years, okay? just want to do my thing, live my life, my story, and, and then can we do this? Let me ask you this, ladies and men. Let me ask you this. Haven't you had a few questions for God from time to time when he has or hasn't done something in your life or given you something or arrived and helped you at a specific point in time? Don't we have a lot of questions for God sometimes, especially when it doesn't align and fit with our story, our plan for our lives? God comes along and says, yeah, you know what? I don't want you to live there. I want you to live here. Yeah, you know what? I don't want you to take that job. I want you to take this job. Yeah, you know what, young man, I, I want you to go to these people in this faraway land, and at 27 years of age, you are going to die, like this young man recently did as a missionary. God has plans, right? And sometimes they're very, very different. Mary's response is really quite awesome. She's 13 to 15 years of age. Please remember that as we read her words. Her response is this, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word, and the angel departed from her. So before we think about more about this and, and conclude about Mary here, Mary's story, let me just point out that word for you. That's a great word, the word there for servant. The Greek word is the word doulos. Now, some of you ladies will rec- recognize that because it's in another form, doula, Right? And, and, and that word literally means in the Greek, handmaiden, female servant. There's another word that's used in the New Testament for servant. It's the word diakonai, where we get the word deacon, which is what all of us are as servants of God. We're all diakonai. But in this case, she's a female servant of the Lord, and she wants to present herself that way. I think that's pretty remarkable what she does. But now digging in a little deeper here, we must see this. Plans have really changed for Mary, haven't they? She had all these dreams. She had all these hopes. But they've really, really changed. Is there any possible way that she had dreamed, like a young Jewish girl, that one day she would be impregnated by the Holy Spirit and bear the Messiah? Some young girls were probably hoping that. They didn't know how that was going to happen other than uh, a woman was going to bear the Messiah. They knew that from Genesis and from the Old Testament and from Isaiah and various other passages. But do you think she read? I don't know. So let's be sure we note this. The angel has only told her so far all the amazing things that are going to happen with Jesus, hasn't he? He's only told her all the great things. Let me put them back on screen. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Forever, And of his kingdom there will be no end. Maybe at that point in time as Mary is like, sign me up. <laughs> Let, let's get started. Right? When do I get pregnant? Yeah, that's what he tells her. But he doesn't tell her the whole story, does he? He doesn't tell her the whole story. 
He doesn't tell her that her baby boy is going to be rejected and despised by his own people. He doesn't tell her that his baby, her baby boy is going to carry a rugged Roman cross and have a crown of thorns punched into his head and be beaten and whipped. He doesn't tell her that she is going to be kneeling at the foot of the cross when he dies. At 33 years of age, he doesn't tell her that. She doesn't know that. He also doesn't tell her that he's going to rise from the dead and then ascend. He doesn't tell her any of these things. And yet Mary was faithful. Her life was completely changed. The plans that she had for her life, the best life ever, the story of all stories, greatly changed. And Mary was good with it. And Mary lived it out well. She lived it out well. So, boys, before we start thinking this is all on the ladies, there's also Joseph's story. Number two. In Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25, I will read the passage. Now, the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quickly. Like I said... Something goes wrong or we don't like each other in that betrothal period, letter of divorcement, it's over. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear. Word again. To take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. So we won't spend as much time on Joseph because the scripture doesn't spend a lot of time on Joseph. But same thing, right? Same thing in a little different way for Joseph. I mean, Joseph's a carpenter. He's got a plan. He's, he's engaged to this beautiful young girl. He's looking forward to it. He's from, a, he's from a family that has an incredible lineage all the way back to David, King David. You know, so he's got a bit of prestige and in the community, in the synagogue, he's considered, you know, a respectable man. And he's going to go about these things in a respectable way. But then through the grapevine somehow, not through Mary, but through some other emissary it would appear, he finds out she's pregnant by the Holy Spirit, apparently. Right? His first choice is to say, I'll divorce her. Most experts, most theologians and commentators say that the main reason why he, because of the words that are used there for he didn't want to put her to shame, was because do you know what the penalty was for a woman who committed adultery in betrothal, in marriage? Death by stoning. So it's quite likely that he wanted to divorce her quietly, put it aside quietly to protect her. It's one of the indications that we might have that Joseph really loved her. 
wanted to protect her from that. And yet the Holy Spirit comes to him, pardon me, the angel Gabriel comes to him and says, don't, don't be afraid. This, this is a thing of God. Okay? Take her as your wife. So several things here that Joseph, Joseph's like, well, I got plans too, you know. I'm a really good carpenter. And, and I, I had plans to, for this wedding feast. All my buddies are going to be there. It's going to be awesome. And, and now, like word's going to get out, right? And they're going to be, hey, Joseph, uh, hey, come here, like uh, just a quick word. Um, so she's pregnant? Hey. <laughs> you know, you're not supposed to do that before the, the night, like the wedding. But uh, no, guys, uh, she's pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Uh-huh. Fair bit of ridicule here, isn't there? I mean, this man's standing, this man's plan for his life, the standing that he would have had in his culture, the position that he might have had in his culture, it's gone. He has to accept that. And, and here's the other thing. In that culture, the father would typically name the son and choose the name for the son, and oftentimes it would be his own name, especially the firstborn son would follow in the line of the Father. And now this is being taken away from him. And what we read is, is that Joseph, Joseph did what he was told. So, so his great plans for his life, for his story, how wonderful it's going to be with this beautiful young lady, it, it's completely, come on, when you think about it, it's shattered. This, this is not even his son that he will raise. Not his blood son but he is his blood-bought son. Amen? And Joseph's going to have to live with that. The thing I find amazing about the Scripture is we know that Mary lived after the death, burial, and resurrection and ascension of Jesus. We know that, but Joseph is kind of gone by the time Jesus begins his public ministry. We don't read anything about him. We don't know what happened to that man. But we should, I think, look back on his life and say, you know what? Good on you, Joseph. Good on you. Plans changed. You accepted God's plan for your life, and you lived it out to the best of your ability. So let me ask you this question. We've looked at Mary and Joseph's story and how God completed and altered their stories, giving them a new and better story for their lives. Now, how do we find in this text, in these stories, the best story ever? Come and think about it. Okay, like We're all sitting here going, okay, Mary's best story that she... Okay, like in the end, we could say that Mary's story turned out awesome. She gave birth to Jesus. It wasn't an easy life. It wasn't an easy situation at all. Same with Joseph. So where do we find it? Where do we find the best story ever? A glimpse of it just in the text that we've read today. Well, it's there. It's there, and it's beautiful. And I'll just put the verses back up on screen in Luke chapter 1, verses 28 and 29 say this. And he, Gabriel, came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this is. And he went on, and the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. So, so twice, twice, the angel uses the word Favor. Favored, favored one, and then favor, right? He uses those. Mary is told that she's been declared a favored one, that the Lord is with her, and then that she, is, she has found favor with God. Question. From what you know of the New Testament and the writings where Mary's involved, how did she do that? 
Do we have any examples in, in her life, in the Scripture? Do we, do, we, do we find any place in the Scripture where there's evidence that she was a particularly angelic 13 to 15-year-old girl, you know, excelled in homeschool, you know? I mean, and she was a virgin. She had that going for her, right? So maybe that's what, you know, she, she was good enough for, for God to find favor with her. Maybe it was that, but maybe not, because that was kind of expected in that day that young girls, 13 to 15, go figure, maybe not so much today, would be virgins, until they were married. So that was the norm. So the question is, was she a really good daughter? Was she obedient to her mother and father? What had she done to, to be favored by God in this way that God would look down and say, that girl, look at her. She's exceptional. I want to show my favor to her. Right? Well, we know this. We know this. Mary did nothing to deserve God's favor, did she? None of us do. Nothing whatsoever to deserve his favor. And that's where we find the best story ever in this text. This word, um, if you look it up, is the Greek word kareos, right? It's the word that we get the word grace from. This text that we're reading today is one of the reasons why we use a very short definition of the word grace, and we call it unmerited, anybody? Unmerited favor. We get it from this text. Mary did nothing to deserve this. That's why this is the best story ever. That's why this is the beginning of the best story ever, friends. And it is the most important thing that we need to know about the Christmas story, and that is that God, despite us not deserving or doing anything to deserve his acceptance, his approval, his favor, his mercy, his grace, decides to do it. Decides to save you and to save me. God comes as a child to pour out his grace on the world, on his creation. And those who respond to that grace, he saves. He saves. So, friends, what is the story of Christmas, the best story ever, really, really, at the end of the day, all about? It's about God. It's not about you. It's not about me. Thank you, Lord. It's not about us. It's about Him. And that's why at Advent, what God wants more than anything is for us to reflect on Him. The rest of the stories that are being told in this world, fun. They're not terrible. They're fun but they will never match this story. Never match this story whatsoever. And so I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. These stories that our world is telling, I'm, I'm always amazed. I mean, Hallmark produces really good cards, right? But they're also into producing Christmas movies. Like, it's every year. Like, and, and God bless them. They've rented the ledge before and given us a lot of money to do that. But they're always, they're always coming out and, and making new movies every year. And you've got, you got to ask this question. Like, have you watched some of them? They're awesome movies, aren't they? No. Okay, so my point is, is that they're doing every year trying to find a new way to make that story so amazing. At the end of the day, friends, I'm, I, I want to be clear. Just like Santa failed me, that story will fail people, will it not? It will fail. But if we live in God's story, the best story ever, then here's the thing. It's not on us 
to make the best Christmas ever for our family or for this community through the stories that the community is telling. It's on God if we put our faith. He never fails. So listen, this, this, I, I thought of this thought just in conclusion this morning. When I think about it, does this world that we live in today need any help from us to tell their story any better? Anybody? They don't, do they? They're doing an amazing job, really. I mean, I, I gave you a litany of things up front that are really amazing. It starts with the songs and the music and the food, right? And, 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 and the, the guy and the whole story and the reindeer. And they, they're, they've, they've perfected that story, honed it. It's down to it. Like, it's just amazing story. It's, it's incredible. They do not need our help to make that story any better, Christian. Do they? No. They don't. So the question then is, who's going to tell them the best story ever? Who's going to do that, right? Instead, you know, what what I find that the church has often been doing, and I've been guilty of it. I got the t-shirt. I'm going to confess to you right now. Instead, what we do is the church is we get all all bent out of shape when Starbucks comes out with a Christmas cup that doesn't have snowflakes on it and doesn't have any reference to Christmas. You know, some people is like satanic. <laughs> like, we get all bent out of shape about that. Or we get really upset when people use the term Xmas, you know, or, or happy holidays rather than Merry Christmas, right? I guarantee you in the next few weeks, you're going to get some friend of yours post on Facebook. I, I'm going to always repeat to people, Merry Christmas when they say happy holidays to me. Share if you agree. <laughs> Don't share that. Please don't share that. It's sad. It's sad. Hear this. The truth is, that's not their job to tell our story, his story, is it? And yet we spend so much time getting all bent out of shape about things like that. I think we've got it all wrong, friends, when we think our job is to get this unbelieving world out there to tell the best story ever when it's not their job. So here's a question in closing for you. How good are you, how good are we at telling the world the best story ever? Friends, let me encourage you uh, that with this Christmas, let's do this. Let's start with ourselves personally. Let's, let's do Advent devotions. Let's read. Let's, let's rehearse this story to ourselves. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to tell us this story afresh again. Then, then let's also, as parents and grandparents, let's tell it to our kids. Let's share it within our family. Let's share it within community group. Let's share it within our church. And you know what? If we do that better and more often, and it really comes home, and it is the best story ever in your life and my life, then we might be ready to go and tell the world. The Savior has come, and his name is Jesus Christ. Pray with me, would you?